ESPNW presents Be Honest with Carrie Champion. Hey everyone, another edition of Be Honest. This podcast, um, as you well know, goes back and forth between, you know, talking about sports, talking about entertainment, and then talking about everything else in between, whatever that means, right? The culture, the lifestyle surrounding sports. I thought about something interesting the other day because we're doing, you know, a lot of talk on our show, which is Sports Nation, about the playoffs. And I know one thing that, to me, that stands out is always chemistry, how well you get along with someone, how well you and your teammates interact. And so I thought I'd make that the theme of today's show. Chemistry. Think about that for a minute. When I was on first take, whether I loved it or hated it, or just felt blah about the show, there was always a great chemistry there. When you think of the most successful television shows, they they have chemistry inside the NBA. We know Shaq and Chuck, you know, they, they get at it, but they have great chemistry on that show. And so it's the same for any great sports team. You need to have chemistry or any great team in general, any relationship. So to that very end, uh, I have guests today who will talk about chemistry. Jamel Hill, you remember her? Yes, I've dusted her off. <laughs> I've brought her to Los Angeles and I've made her come on my uh, podcast as well as Sports Nation. Check it out Monday through Friday, one o'clock. That's uh, Los Angeles time, which is West Coast, four o'clock Eastern. And then I also will have a good friend of mine by the name of Dr. Joe Carr. He is a sports psychologist and performance coach. So we'll talk to him as well. First, it's that lady. She's infamous or famous, whatever you want to call her. Well, some of my friends call her America's Most Wanted. <laughs> Jamel Hill, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, it's, it's amazing you used the word um, that you described it as dusting me off because I was ashy about an hour ago. <laughs> so that was more factual than you think it was. So anyway, pleasure to be back uh, in the Be Honest Hive. Let me ask you this. When you think about chemistry, you and Michael on his and hers had some of the best chemistry. What was that about? I think it was about the fact that um, we were friends long before we were TV partners. Now that doesn't always mean it's going to translate because there are plenty of people who are friends in, in our business who, if you put them on TV, it would not be the same. But I think because both of us decided that we wanted to specifically bring our conversations as friends onto air, only less cursing that uh, it felt very natural and normal for us, you know, to be on air together. I mean, there were certain nuances we had to learn in terms of um, how to interrupt each other. Uh, because when, you know, as you know, Carrie, when you're on TV, if you have to allow yourself to be interrupted in order for it to look like there is very good chemistry, you know, and not in an awkward way, but in a way that you would normally have two friends conversing. So, um, there was a little stuff that we still had to learn because we had never hosted together. And, um, you know, we just, much like anything in television, with more reps, we just got better and better. But I think at the root of it, we were friends first, and we also had a innate respect for each other. Like, we didn't want to show each other up. We weren't trying to out-debate each other. We weren't trying to make somebody look stupid. We weren't trying to make uh, ourselves look s smarter. It was just really about what's best for the show and how can we bring out the best in each other. So do you miss working with him? All the time. 
you know, and that was kind of the um, the real regret of everything that happened to us in the last 13 months is like this was not a breakup that we decided. We didn't have control of when we ended. And uh, I think if there is anything that kind of rattles around in our mind is what if we had just stayed on ESPN2 and just continued to do his and hers or we just stayed on doing his and hers, period. Did you guys have this conversation recently? We've had it a thousand times and we have it pretty much every time we we see each other. And like we went to see Avengers Infinity War. Um, uh, so like we always, you know, talk about the what if of that. And look, don't get me wrong, like Sports Center, it taught us both a lot. Uh, we grew, I think, both as professionals and certainly personally, and we have a, a clearer understanding of some things. But kind, you know, the big downside is that you know we're not together on TV anymore. And people ask me all the time, "Are you guys gonna get back together and do the podcast?" And does it make sense to get back together? Yeah. Um, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. To be honest. Pun intended. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, it makes sense because we want to work together again, but we have to figure out at this phase in our careers with everything we've already done at ESPN, what that looks like. And neither one of us really know what that looks like. The thing, what uh, the reason why I ask is that, does that make sense? Because no matter what, I think that people will see you all as his and hers. So if you do come together, especially here at ESPN, how do you, do you just pick it up as his and hers? I'm just throwing something out here. Or do you try to revamp it completely? Because in my mind, uh, do you want to start something fresh? Or you want to go back to old? Um, I think do, if you have the opportunity. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we'd have to evaluate that, um, you know, and, and just look at some factors. I think we didn't look at when we did uh, the six and not necessarily with each other. I mean, we, when I say what it looks like, we have to look like, we have to look at how it's constructed, who's constructing it, who's a part of this team, what's the vision. I, I, I get it. Right. right. Okay. No, you preach into the choir. Yeah. I get it. You, you know, know, it's interesting because, <laughs> um, there's a lot of change happening at our company in terms of where you are. I miss David Lloyd. Like, there's nobody's business. So you I guys had a thing. And well, that's hard to do when you're on two different coasts. And we had such great chemistry, but it was the same thing that you talked about that I think a lot of people who are in relationships, whether it's a working relationship on a team, a professional sports team. Um, it, uh, we had a, a tremendous amount of respect for one another. David knew what my strength was. I knew what his strength was. He'd pick me up and I'd pick him up. What, meaning like if I didn't read this via, I'm like, oh, all right, David, I'm not, I'm not paying attention today, David. David's like, and I am Carrie. So, you know, he'd pick it right, <laughs> which is funny. And it wasn't yeah. an insult to me. It was just who I was at the moment. Like he had my back. And I, I think what you and Michael have and what great teams have, that chemistry allows people to want to work hard. Like my big thing is like, I really want you to care about your job. I really want you to work hard. Even if I act like I don't care, I really do care. You know what I mean? Like I want <laughs> There's you. There's not a person who's ever worked with you that would ever think that you didn't care. I, well, but you know, my, my the thing, I, I, I also know that, and I'll shift to sports, that I think of somebody like LeBron and I always hear how he gets such a bad rap for being some type of guy that he's tough to work with. Not that. On the court, he's not magnificent and he doesn't have a brilliant basketball IQ, but he's, I get the, I hear these rumors. He's tough to work with. And I'm like, yeah, because he demands excellence. And, and probably what's tough is him not being patient enough for others to be as excellent. Yeah. But I do think he has, you know, matured in he that has. role. I, I think he's, uh, 
this always has a negative connotation, but I think he was a bit probably of a micromanager. And if you're a player that's not secure enough to handle that, you know, that's it's going to probably create some problems. People say the same thing about CP3 mm-hmm. and why ultimately that relationship blew up with the uh, with the Clippers and Blake Griffin specifically. CP3 is a dude that demands excellence. OK, so I'm going to make a confession. I feel like I am CP3 and LeBron. <laughs> You're both? I think I'm Not both. you, Carrie. You're like, shut. Jamel's being sarcastic, folks. <laughs> but the thing is, is that the, what I'm what I'm learning even to this day is just being patient because everyone's mm. not going to be excellent right away or you can't demand that everyone works at your level of excellence. All you can do is worry about yourself, right? All you can do is worry about the products you put on the floor because unlike LeBron and CP3, I don't need to pass the ball to anybody and make them put it in the hole. I can just <clears throat> be focused on me. I, I look at you and you always want excellence, but it's a relaxed excellence. How do you do that? <laughs> That's like Michael you're not was in the corners of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, oh yes, wait. I, I decide. Let me take that back. I, I, I disagree. Michael was intense. Michael was CP3 on steroids, right? <laughs> so then, but you, on the other hand, was you know his, the yin to the yang or the yang to the yin, if you will, whatever they say. But you didn't let it people know how intense you were. You would just. Like I say, suffer in silence. I was gonna say, I was just gonna bring that up. <laughs> your your nickname for me is, you know, SIS, suffer in silence. That was me all the time to some degree, just because I, I don't always feel one, um, it's part of my personality, despite how outgoing I may seem to be. I also hold a lot of things in because I'm a stewer. As in, I just made that word up, but I like to stew or no, brood I think or that's think. A new word. Yeah. Yeah. Or think a about thinker. things. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a thinker. And so when it's time to say something, I'll say it. Um, and it's not going to always come out the way you want it to. And so Mike used to always tell him like, y'all are, y'all make me out to be the bad guy. She's the diabolical one, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, so yeah, that was why we, we were a good balance. You know, this when it comes to TV relationships, real relationships that you, I think you have to, whoever your partner with has to have traits that you wish you had. Right. And that's mm-hmm. how you make it kind of perfect. Like Mike is a detail oriented guy. And that is what made our show very successful. You know, he had like spidey senses when it came to TV. He could spot um, the wrong video, a, a graphic that wasn't right, mm-hmm. an incorrect fact from from like 20 feet away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what was, about did he ever get his scripts on time? <laughs> Shout out to my producer, Jessica. Uh, so he was very good at uh, <laughs> he knew he understood details very well. I yeah. am not a detail. I You know, I need certain details. Correct. But it doesn't, you know. It doesn't keep me awake at night. Sure. Like Mike is self-admitted OCD, right? Sure. About some things, sure. right? Which I used to constantly make fun of him about. Mm-hmm. Me, I'm like big, big picture. I play the long game all the time, mm-hmm. right? And so it's just kind of like it was a perfect balance. Whereas Mike would, you know, a lot of times both of us, like there were shows that we were not happy with. Um, and we leave there and we talk about it and kind of dissect it. I could just leave it. You know, I think for for Mike, and this is, again, what made it's special to work with him is that he would think about it over mm-hmm. and over in his mind. He'd come back the next day like, okay, so here are the 30 things we need to do okay. better. So this is the first way I describe you as you're saying that. You were Stephen A. and Michael was Skip. <laughs> legit. Because Ooh. that's how not, but that's how it was. Like Stephen A. would be like, okay, Skip. Okay, gotcha. Skip, you know, Skip is meticulous. Very much so. So like down to the T, he's like, you forgot the I and the last letter that we wrote a hundred times. You know what I mean? Like, so you're just like, okay. So my, my, I, 
when we talk about this chemistry and what and what you have, you now are in the process of you appear on certain shows, more specifically Eric Ride Home shows, which are you know uh, highly questionable. Um, P- PTI, you have or been on with, that yet. Oh, not yet, or with people I like, or with people you, you like, <laughs> people you, I like, you, you are in, in cities I like, <laughs> in cities you like, L- L.A., Miami. Yeah. I can catch her in the next L.A. sunny spot. Exactly. Florida. Notice that <laughs> trend there. <laughs> you ain't nothing. Um, but it, so I think. It would be hard to go on television with all these different people and develop chemistry but you seem to just gel right away is it because there is a freedom to what you're doing now is part of it is there a, there's a freedom um there's a mental freedom uh especially given everything that happened in the last you know uh mm-hmm. year or so so um I, you know i was always comfortable on tv but it's even more so now where i'm just like hey whatever here you, you know go. like here you know here are these takes yeah you want them they coming <laughs> here they go so that's part of it. And generally speaking, as you mentioned, like I, I'm keep, keeping a certain sphere of shows. You know, you I've clearly been on your podcast more than a few times. You and I have a certain chemistry when we're on air. So that's you're an easy show uh, that I can do. And, um, you know, LZ and I, we both grew up in Detroit. I've known him forever. Right. Marcellus and I, I believe we've done radio before. So it, because I've been here so long that I prop it's not very many uh, people I haven't done television with. And even if I haven't, I'm just that type of person that I can just lay back for a second. You can. And just figure out like, oh, okay. This or is you're what you just bring to easy. It. You make everything easy. Like your energy is easy. Energy is big on, t- on a set too. It is. Because I've worked with some people that I think are great on air, on air. But then mm. you work with them and their energy is so frantic and it doesn't relax you and it doesn't help you ease into a television show. No names to be mentioned, but hit me up on my ads and I'll tell you. <laughs> like, you know, take your unnecessary agitated in- energy elsewhere because that affects how you do television, whether people re- realize it or not. I I wonder, and I ask you this question, and I don't think I've ever asked you this. This Uh-oh. is crazy. Oh, you about to see Black so, Diane Sawyer? Here I you know. go. Here I go. I can't help it. <laughs> what was your demon? What was your demon? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Why did you kill that child? Um, sorry, guys, we're kidding. She didn't kill anyone. Uh, Not today. Any regrets? Would you do anything differently? Well, I mean... Not And I'm not referring to the tweet. I'm not referring to that because I know how you felt and people have asked you about how yeah. you feel about what you've tweeted. But I'm just saying, just look back at less than a year ago. The excitement, the the anticipation... Um, the possibilities, all still there, but just in a different way now. Um, more famous now and infamous than you were before. <laughs> yeah. What, and you don't have to say on the show, but I would love it if you did, any regrets or regret? Would you have done anything differently? No regrets, not one single letter. That's a movie reference. Some people get it, some people don't, but those that do, they are plotting me somewhere in their homes. <laughs> um <laughs> Only I, I don't necessarily believe in regrets because I always think that they lead you to something you didn't even know was there. Right now, as much as I am, I'll be honest, I'm heartbroken over the fact that Mike and I are not working together. Mm-hmm. I think we both are. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as that that process of it is painful, I do like where I am now, not just mentally, but just the things that I can do now that I could not do before that were unavailable for me to do because I was in studio five days a week and just in the general machine of sports center um, to have the freedom to give my opinion again and to be in commentary was worth it as painful, difficult, as anxiety written as it often was. 
uh, and especially looking at what I hope to be the next uh, chapter of my career, which is in production, right, and uh, creating content. That was all worth it if I get to this place. Um, so, no, I don't I don't have any regrets. And in many ways, look, I don't mean to make the, the doing the sick sound like uh, it was torture. I don't mean to make it sound it wasn't that. torture, but listen, it just wasn't me. That was all. But I mean, that's the problem with a lot of companies. They miscast people. They put them in positions that don't necessarily work out because they don't really know what their strengths are. So if we had to do it all over again, we probably would have said the only thing that we would have said or possibly somebody else would have said is that, well, make sure we know the strengths, make sure we know the weaknesses, make sure we know what it is. And if you do know them, that if you're really trying to evolve something, have the guts to stick with it. Um, You got to choose one or the other, you know, and so it's kind of. um, Yeah, you can't be too toesy. Yeah, you can't like you got to it's one you got to go all in on certain things. And we were definitely two people with our brand of television, you had to go all in and you had to stay all in. Mm-hmm. And when there were some changes that changed the philosophy, uh, considering how we came up uh, in ESPN, that his and hers was something that we conceived from a podcast that we were truly selling tapes out the trunk. It wasn't hard for us to leave it when it wasn't ours. Mm-hmm. It wasn't hard for us to leave. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, again, as yeah. I, as I say, like it doesn't, I don't consider it necessarily a negative journey because I did learn a lot about television and anchoring in particular. And you know, that, Sports Center every day it's a fire drill, like it straight up. Easy. It you is know, not when easy. someone is at me and tweeting me about that. I'm like, get out of here! Oh I my was, god, it's like I don't. They hear would it. fold. Yeah, they. It, you can't even. You got people they wouldn't last in your a ear. Second. You got you got a prompter that don't work. So you got somebody saying just read the prompter. Correct. There, we have to put back to the team chemistry so much trust in other people, but you can't at the same time because you build this protection shell so that you don't look crazy on TV. Right, because your face is it's the one brand. that's out so there. I always have a protective shell on. I'm like, you know what? Here I go. I, good luck today. <laughs> but I have two questions for you that go hand in hand. How does your ego deal with not being on TV five days a week? Oh, I don't care about that. Why? Again, because um, some would think you do and nah, I don't know why. No, nah, nah, I don't care about that. People have to understand writing was my first love. It wasn't TV. TV was something that I just happened to be good at mm-hmm. um, and it was never hard for me to leave, mm-hmm. you know, because I wasn't somebody, despite whatever profile people think that I have now, I didn't need to be famous. Mm. I didn't care about that. Talk about it. At all. So these checks still cashing. <laughs> so that's can't, really. Speaking of, can I borrow five? <laughs> mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> I saw that 20 hanging out your post. <laughs> you gotta <laughs> laugh. But um, no, it was just not something that uh, I ever felt like was a part of my career path. Um, and I'm happy that it was it has allowed me opportunities I never would have had probably through writing. But being on not being on TV every day, it's like, all right, I've said that about you. I've said I was like, she don't care about that. And that's one of many of your admirable qualities. TV is how I grew up. And I think that I, I like the freedom of what you're doing. And I know that I would take I would take any opportunity that allows me to create Five days a week as opposed to be on television. Yeah, but see, but it's week. not a bad. I hope people don't misunderstand this. Like there are people who were just born to do television. Like you are one of those people. You were born to do TV. Thank you. You know, and so because of that, I think 
it would be much different for you. It'd be a different experience. But if I were able to not be on TV as much and create more, I'd be so fulfilled. This is my lesson. You know, uh, you were part of the Brown Girls Dream Mentor Program. And we're ladies, don't hit me. I, we are sending all the replies back. We have we were overwhelming response. Side note, uh, Jamel's one of the mentees, mentors, rather. Um, but I can be mentee, too. You, you do you know. We, as, yes, <laughs> we are both. Um, but I did notice something. My biggest takeaway from watching what you've been dealing with and then listening to my friends who, who seem to also be in the same space but in different arenas, whether it be local news or, or broadcast podcast news today show good morning america you name it create your own mm. if i if i have to tell anything to any of these women right now whether it be your own podcast but get paid for it um create your own start an llc that takes no money create your own production company right now create content that you can own that you can give away and do it as you please because there there is the power so in my mind i'm like god you were doing we were doing these dope podcasts i'm doing a podcast now but i'm going to get my own podcast outside of this this element so i can create my own because you we work so hard for somebody else and if they don't really understand it and love it and value it the way you value it they could take it away and it's because those kind of labors of love are personal they're so personal. They are super personal. And you look at it, say somebody like Issa Rae, right? right? That is the model. Everybody can't do that. So it's not easy to create yeah, something. But, she's but she is forever. always, she's been grinding forever and was always in the space of creating her own. Because content. she was a creator. She's a Correct. true artist. Now, now some of us get caught up in the check. And so we like, I want to make, you, you can still do that, but mm-hmm. you have to have your own. That's just the only way it works. And that is a lesson that I have learned. I, I mean, just watching from the outside in, it's my labor. It's my love. Cause we care so deeply about our work and what we do. And for anybody to take it away. So, so unnecessarily, or just because they can, or because the tide is turned, it's painful Right. But it's also a learning lesson to me. That's been the biggest learning lesson of of watching you uh, on the six, because I think that was what you were called to do. I think what happened was was destined. I think that you had to be in this position because you're teaching so many people by what you've done and what you maybe should not have done or maybe what you will do, whatever, however, however people want to see it. I mean, and I'm not just saying that for us at ESPN, but even on the outside looking in, people walking down the street, people in other places. I know Don Lemon had asked me about you one time. He works at CNN. Like, I'm just saying there's a lesson in everything. And the beauty is, is that it ain't over. It's even better. Yeah, I mean, that that part, that's why when you asked me about regret, I said, well, you know, it got me to this place. And uh, knowing what could possibly lie ahead in the future, it's like, okay, it would be it would be worth it. You, you get know? married? It would be worth it. What? You get married? <laughs> you never That's know. called a hard turn. Yeah, That's called a hard turn. Talk about chemistry. Let's get into your personal I mean, I life. Know. You get married. Look. Uh, Let's get <laughs> married. You know, I, look, it, it's probably time for my jersey to go to the rafters. No, don't retire your jersey. Dude, it's like, it's time. It's, it's time. time. It's what time. you going to do? You, you put, is there a bench? You still got a bench? No, you only got one no, I only got, got one player. I got one game. long-term contract. That's Man, dog, it. dog, That's dog, it. dog. You disappoint me, dog. <laughs> dog, Gary, you know it ain't true, Blue. Look. It ain't true, <laughs> dog. Look, all right. I look. I gave to the game. I gave the game everything what I you had. Do? You gave the game everything. everything you? I, I averaged thirty a night, Gary. Thirty a night. All right. 
Triple double on some days. Woo. All right. Drop my headphones. You know what I'm saying? She ain't lying. Led the league in rebounding. <laughs> Defensive player of the year. Put my stats up against Three Jordan. Three MVPs. Google me. See Google me. <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm saying? So you going ahead. You about to retire your jersey? You know? um, I'm a retired. Dog. I am retired. Dog. It's basically, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's been retired for a couple but of years. But you like going officially, eventually, like official, yeah. official. Like we having a ceremony, like everybody's time to retire it. Yeah. I'm going to send it up to the Raptors, <sighs> make a speech. It won't be as petty as Michael Jordan's. But it Listen, was- <laughs> and you never know. I might come back. I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to come back like Jordan wearing the 4-5. That's not going to okay, happen. Okay, can I say something? Yeah. This is breaking news. Ladies and gentlemen, the three-time MVP. <laughs> Google me. <laughs> defensive player of the year. Sixth man of the year. Right. Averaging 30-15 a night. Is going to retire I just am. now. Are you going into the Hall of Fame? Uh, absolutely. I'm first ballot. <laughs> first ballot Hall of Famer. All right? Well, then let's tell folks about why you are. Remember that time in Vegas? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know what? And you gonna give my uh you gonna be the one that gives my induction speech, I oh. guess. Oh, present yes. you gonna present the honor. I'm gonna be like hey, there was this one time I'll be like because hey, 'cause I'm gonna tell him like I learned from the best. Again, hi. <laughs> you know what? I look, I understand. And you know, as you well know, I dibble and I dabble. <laughs> oh yeah. And I and I may or may not have a thing going on now. Yeah. I dibble and I dabble. Because yeah. you were Denzel and I was Ethan Hawk. And you were like, get get this up in you, get some balance. <laughs> get this up in you. <laughs> on training day, she just called me Denzel, y'all. That's a, is that a compliment? I'm not for she was Denzel, I was Ethan Hawk, riding around trying to figure out how to navigate these streets. You were like, look. <laughs> Pelican Bay, shoot program. I was like, okay. <laughs> remember, remember our early days? Um, oh, bars and, with carpet. And it, <laughs> y'all, t- look, we about to reminisce. When I first came to ESPN, Jamel and I were kind of being friends and then it eventually transformed us having a great friendship. You all have heard the story, but there were times when I would look around uh, in Bristol, Connecticut, God bless, and be like, this cannot be my life. <laughs> Where did I eat at like three days a week? Oh, my God. Ruby Tuesday. We ate at Ruby Tuesdays once a week, though. Once a week. We got it down to once a week. And then we, The black and tilapia. Uh, the, the bl- Holla at me. Holla at me black and tilapia at Ruby Tuesdays. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm far too fashionable to be at Ruby like, Tuesdays. You were like, week. we don't have these in L.A. I was like, you don't? Okay, <laughs> no, well. they don't have Ruby Tuesdays in the, in the greater Los Angeles area. <laughs> they, they, they do not. <laughs> I haven't seen one yet. I was like, bars with carpet, Ruby Tuesdays. It was a shame because we knew Every bartender in like a 15 mile radius. Because times were hard, you guys. They we were. Had to, we had to drink through those times. Whatever. When you left, every time I would go in, they're like, oh, where's Carrie? Oh, hey. I was like, oh, my God. We knew every bartender. <laughs> so trifling, but yet so awesome. We, I, gosh, those are the good old days. And so, guys, I'm reminiscing because what she's telling me essentially is that those days are over. <laughs> Her, because her chemistry is going so well with her teammate. Yeah. She's telling me those days are over. No longer can we go to bars that have carpet. No longer will we be sitting in Ruby Tuesdays drinking for no necessary reason. Because on the East Coast, when you watch football games on Sunday, you start drinking at 11. 11, 11. It's 11, 11. 11 a.m., 11 p.m. 11, 11. 11, 11. 11, 11. You are so ghetto. What? Because you're going to say 11, 11. 11, 11. 511, like 511, 11, 11. So I, I, I want to say this to you, um, and because I know we got to wrap and you got to go. Um, your chemistry, seriously, not being funny, uh, 
you and Michael's presence is so missed on television. Um, it feels, and you're heartbroken, but it feels like such a missing source of energy, um, culture for sure, um, and wisdom. Like, <laughs> I feel like that is what's missing in programming period, whether it's here at our, our network or elsewhere, but the presence of you two um, is really missing. And, and when it's gone, it's obvious. And I don't know if, and I'm sure you get this mentions and people tweet and tell you that, but it's so obvious that it's creating such a need. Hmm. And so my, my hope is that in whatever capacity you both come back together individually and you both will, but that, that, that missing presence is, is replaced sooner rather than later. Yeah, um, and look, the way we look at it, uh, that if we had to be a bit of the test dummies so that it would encourage uh, some new, you know, just some new thoughts, some new ways to look at things, uh, then that's fine. Because, you know, as I used to often joke, I was like, his and hers died so that other shows may live. We died on the cross for a lot of people. Praise the Lord. So that y'all may live. Praise you know? the Lord. So that they would start to look at pairs in a different way. Because I think when both of us were here and and you were a part of this is that they, you know, there was no male female dynamic like ours at the network. Equally yoked. Equally yoked, period. There just wasn't. And now I think there was also, you know, and some people won't be honest about this, that there was a thinking because a producer told us that's how I know is like there was a thinking that because you know, we're both black that we probably thought the same. So that wouldn't make for good television because, you know, Skip and Stephen A, they were optically different. They were different but in personality, do with them but it had nothing to do with it. Culture. It had nothing to do with him being white or the other guy being no. black. And, and I always often How say this simple. about Tony and, and Mike, they're the same dude. Oh. It's just one is black. And one is grumpy old man. Grumpy, like grumpy, yeah. knowledgeable, smart, b- smart, all that stuff. And battle sports writers. Like yeah. I love them. Yeah. So they're the same dude. Yeah. So, um, and even when Bo and Pablo, their show that I'm, you know, I'm extremely happy for both of them that they get this opportunity. I think 10 years ago, that doesn't happen because mm-hmm. somebody would look at that and say, uh, they're both people of color. They're both mm-hmm. men. This may not be different enough, even though they look at the world totally different. So for us, if our success or trials, if that leads to that, cool, you know, um, I think we feel pretty secure and comfortable with the legacy of his and hers and, you know, and the six for whatever, whether good or bad, people will never forget. <laughs> That's the truth. They were n- to make they, thing go they, right. Oh God, if I never hear that song again, um, they'll, they'll never forget. And if, if the quote unquote worst thing on my career resume is that I was for 13 months a host of the six o'clock sports center, one of the best jobs in sports media, I can take that. Jamal Hill, I love you dearly. I know you got to go. Thank, Thank you, you for boo. being be honest. Mm. On the other side of the break, we're talking sports with Dr. Joe Carr. Team chemistry this time. Back in a moment. Uh-huh. 
We have a special guest on the podcast today, uh, a friend, a professional, someone that I think you all will learn a great deal from, especially because it is that time of year. I love this time of year because my Lakers don't do well, but we're talking about the playoffs, the NBA playoffs. Uh, and I have someone on the phone that knows a lot about teams, chemistry, and how well they can work together or not work together. Uh, we welcome <laughs> in Dr. Carr. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Carr. How's it going? Fabulous. Thank you for having me, Gary. Okay, so here's the deal. I think it's interesting because, and I'm going to talk to you in theory, but I want you to help our viewers and our listeners uh, understand. Tell me um, what you do, what you specialize in, and how you can work with different professional teams. Okay, well, I'm, first of all, I'm a sports psychologist, and my area of expertise and specialization is team chemistry. Team chemistry involves four factors, and it actually has a rating scale of five. So let's talk about the factors involved in chemistry. And it actually is a very simple, an acronym is RARE, R-A-R-E. The R stands for relationship. So you've got to have like a brotherhood or a sisterhood in this because that's very important. The A stands for accepting challenges. If I'm on your team and we're teammates, I've got to be able to tell you your breath stinks, and you've got to be able to accept that at a very high level. Also, accepting challenges means I've got to be able to accept my the good times and the bad times. If I'm in a funk, I even have to be able to accept uh, success. The next letter stands for R, rare, uh, which is recovery from mistakes. Uh, during the course of, of a game or a year, you know, the good teams, if they lose a game by 35 points, the next time they come back, they have to win that game. Or during the course of the game, if they're behind by 20 points, they have to kind of overcome that hump. Or if you have a turnover or miss rebounds, you have to kind of bounce back. So be, bouncing back is part of the DNA, you know, of a rare team. And the last letter is E, executing coach's direction. You have to have, like, um, blind trust in the coach. You have to believe everything he says and don't question it. So when you put all those things together in rare, you, you come up with sacrifice, you come up with giving, and, and you come up with being connected, uh, like, like Gorilla Glue. So that's basically what I do. I help teams to get connected and to be rare, which is very hard. That, I was going to say that sounds extremely difficult. You listed a couple of things that I thought to myself, well, I could see where this would be a problem for any team. Or I've often seen it um, as we even watch the playoffs. So I'll bring it to, to relevant terms. I'm really curious as to what's going on with LeBron and the Cavs, as is everyone else. So talk to me about what you've been able to see. And I'm going to go from the time that the players, the the original, I'm going to say Cavs, you know, 1.0 before they made all the changes and brought in the new the new guys to this new team. Why do you think it was so important? Or what did you see in terms of chemistry uh, versus the old team, which had, you know, his best friend D-Wade on there. Uh, we still had Kevin Love. We still had J.R. Smith. But essentially we had a bunch of role players, Iman Shumpert, players that are no longer on the team, to this new team that they have now. What are you seeing in terms of that chemistry with LeBron and the rest of the guys? Well, you know, it's always good to have a person who has been there, done that, and has a, had a T-shirt. And in this case, he had a couple rings. And I think in this case, you know, LeBron was at, early on in his high school career, he wasn't a vocal person. But, you know, once he became vocal and he started talking, he began to share, you know, with some of the new guys what is necessary in order to take this journey. And so he kind of laid out a roadmap and gave everybody a GPS system and said, okay, guys, follow me. Now, it's very hard to do this, but the guys that were selected to be a part of his team, they were yes guys. In order to have a rare team, you've got to have people who just don't give you a lot of pushback. So the new guys, they were willing. 
they were wide-eyed, and they were ready to say, okay, I'm going to ride with you. And I think that's what's happening with this new team. There's not, not a lot of pushback, not a lot of guys going outside the circle, and they're hungry to learn what LeBron has to teach them. And so, you know, with this new group of guys, they may not be the most seasoned people in the world, but they're the most willing people. And I think that's going to be the separator for them as they take the next step, you know, in this journey. Okay, so I when you look at LeBron and I give him, I go back and forth because I find him to be the most fascinating athlete of our time in terms of mm-hmm. what he's been able to do. Why is it so difficult to coexist with superstars like LeBron and Michael Jordan? We hear these stories of these players who play at at an exceptionally high level. Talk to me about the psychiatry behind that to coexist with these players. These these guys and ladies, too, they're highly perfectionistic. I mean, they really they know what needs to be done. They know how it has to be done. And they're very surgical about it. And so they get really, really detailed, and everybody can't get to that level of specificity that they, that they can get to. And it's a challenge for everyone because they're almost like savants. I mean, it, it comes that easy. But I think what LeBron has been able to do in his older age, yes, he's very detailed, and yes, he's very specific, but I think he's become more patient. He said, okay, guys, I'm going to wait. I'm not going to go five blocks ahead. I'm going to come back to you and going to guide you through this. And so the really good ones, like LeBron, I think he's become more patient, and he's not as, should I say, as demanding, but he's very demanding. And he allows guys to recover. He allows guys to say, okay, if you didn't understand this play this time, you better get it right the third time. Maybe early on in his career it had to get done, you know, right the first time. But I think the patient, the the, the big P word is is the thing that, that comes to mind as it relates to LeBron. Now, Michael Jordan, he's a different person. He's a different player. So those two you can't compare because their personalities were different, the way they played was different, and the way they assimilated into the team was, was different. But they all have one thing in common. They had all these guys who were willing to make the sacrifice. That's what they have in common. Sacrifice. I don't know if I answered your question, but that's the way I, I saw it. You, yeah, no, because I'm asking, I hear often – that these people are difficult to play with, but you said in the you said initially that these these players that are considered goats, if you will, are savants. Everything comes easy. They see the game differently. They see right. they, they play at a different level. So if in fact they they get it so quickly, they then help me understand this. Have to turn around and be patient with those who don't get it as quickly. And and the patience is the part of the game that that has to come later or doesn't necessarily come right away. Absolutely. I mean, because I think that comes with their own personal maturity because, you know, Michael Jordan had to go through a period of losing before he got to winning. And I guess he understood, like, okay, hmm, scoring points is not going to be the answer to this. You know, and, and, and LeBron, I mean, he had to go through a period where, you know, like, okay, I'm scoring all these points, but, you know, these guys are not coming with me. So they have to kind of do a, a self-call-out, you know. they got to put themselves on blast and say, okay, well, what am I doing and what am I not doing to make – my team mates better. And that's the sign of a genius and a superstar, a person who can call themselves out and do it in a very, very crude way and then come up with an answer and actually make the change. Wow. But sometimes, you know, when you're surviving, you're so great at this, arrogance can, can overcome common sense. And, but I think these two guys, you know, yes, they're arrogant in a way, but at the same time, they, they're common sense. They understand, like, okay, these guys can play a role. I can't do it all by myself. But if I give them just a little bit of juice, you know, they will take it the rest of the way. And I think that's the learning curve that I think LeBron has taken. He's learning how to feed off of the other people. But, yes, there are times during the game when he has to be demanding, you know. 
if there's multiple turnovers or, you know, people are not executing the offense, I mean, he has to call them out. And that's where the trust, you know, uh, comes in. Because on these great championship teams, you can't always have love talk. <laughs> you know, things, things don't always go hunky-dory. And that, that's why I call it rare, because on these rare teams, you have to have these hard conversations and hard moments. And to the outsider, it may look crude. But to the guys who's in there in, in, in the bunker, they know this is the culture. This is the, one, the culture that we're building. This is what I call real trust. The fake trust is when you can't tell people their breath stinks because they, you know, they take it personal. But I think LeBron is learning real trust, and he's passing that on to his brothers, the people in the bunker with him. Yeah, and so maybe I also then am understanding something differently as you explain it. Perhaps it is the 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 player that sees the game at the high level that has the ability to call people out. And some people say, well, that's difficult to work with when the person working with them also has to be okay with. So if LeBron is calling out his teammates or if MJ is calling out his teammates or as we saw Kobe do oftentimes, call out his teammates, that person has to be okay with it because and trust that 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 great that you're playing with sees the game differently or 100% or there there could be those who who say Kobe chased away Dwight LeBron chased away Kyrie MJ was hard to deal with you know there are those who will say that and and and, and, and ignore their greatness I must say you know Carrie everybody's not built to be rare everybody's not built to be a champion and I think you know if you're a coach or you're a general manager or you're a LeBron of your team, you've got to be smart enough to have that collaborative conversation with management and say, okay, these are the guys that fit my profile. This is the kind of guy that I can have a brotherhood get. This is the kind of guy that I can call. This is the kind of guy that bounce back. This is the kind of guy I think who will execute. And if you have that kind of tough conversation, you know, with your manager, I think you can come to some kind of understanding. Everybody's not born to be a winner straight up. You know, so there's got to be a learning period, and it's going to be different for each person. So maybe for Dwight Howard, it just wasn't a good fit. Maybe he couldn't handle the call-out. And if you can't handle the call-out, that means you're going to make the same mistake over and over and over again. And maybe, you know, that was not a good fit. I like what you just said. Everybody's not born to be rare. So I'm going to have a little self-confessional because I have been accused on occasion uh, to be difficult to work with because I am on occasion demanding, as my producer Jessica is just rolling her eyes as I say this, Dr. Carr. <laughs> um, and I most definitely always want people to be at 10. And the part about patience that everything you're saying right now to me sounds so um, right on time in terms of you have to be patient. You can't demand everyone to work at your level or understand your level of excellence right away because that'll frustrate you and it'll also harm you if you're in a team sport. So unlike LeBron and the Cavs or MJ and the Bulls or Kobe and the Lakers, everyone is in a team sport, even in their own work environment. You could be working with some people at work and you want to be at 10 and they're going to they gonna meet you at 7. Every day they're going to meet you at 7. And eventually they'll understand if they understand you want to be at 10. It'll come eventually, or it may not come. But what, how do you deal as a player? Because I think LeBron has already, as we're watching, as that uh, maturation process you discuss, that you talk about, I think he already knows that he's he's working with a group of players that probably won't meet him at 10, that more than likely won't beat the Golden State Warriors if they were to meet in the finals. How do you deal with that psychologically? Well, again, you know... Um, that's not an easy answer, but I think the quick answer is that because he knows what it takes 
to be rare, and, and he has a roadmap for it. He has to adjust his expectation, you know, for each individual player and also for the group. So, for example, if they play the Golden State Warriors and they get blown out by 30, okay, what do you do that next night? Some people would panic. Some people, you know, will go watch a lot of film. He has a routine, and I'm sure he will share that routine with his brothers and say, okay, guys, this is not the end of the world. I'm going to use a big word. He's not going to catastrophize. He's not going to say, oh, wow, it's going to be gloom and doom. And he's going to come up with some experience that he has been there before, some tool that he has used in his toolbox, he's going to share that with them. And that's going to have a calming effect because people are going to say, you know what, this is a reference point. Okay, so that's how I handle, you know, game one when you blow out. Yeah, and that's, I think, that's, that's, very, that's a very secure feeling to know that you have somebody who has those kind of tools because they don't come a dime a dozen. What about if you don't know how to do that? I got athletes listening to this podcast, Dr. Carr, that don't know how to do that. How do you adjust when your teammates don't want to meet you where you want to be? Well, now, that's, that is a, um, a hard question, but it's a, it's a question that's pretty straightforward. You know, consequences are very important. And, and so if you have players who are not willing to make the adjustment, you know, the bench is a very friendly place. <laughs> 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 and, you know, you can't make somebody willing you know, uh, to, to sacrifice. If I'm not willing to make the extra pass, if I'm not willing to dive after the loose ball, if I'm not willing to get an extra rebound, you have to go to the bench because you're not bringing the juice. You're an energy drainer as opposed to being an energy giver. And so sometimes, you know, and, and this is a true statement, but a lot of people may debate this, talent is not enough. You know, I'd rather have that guy who maybe can't score 35 points a game, but if he can rebound, if he can run the floor, and if he will pass and he will take charges, that guy to me will be just as valuable as the guy who scores 35 points because you know, I can't control whether or not I'm going to score from game to game, but I can control my juice. I can control my energy. So for those people who are listening and they have teammates who are, quote-unquote, unwilling to change, you got to have that group conversation with your team, with your coach present, which is hard, and say, okay, let's talk this out, you know, who's willing to make the sacrifice, who's willing to make this change. If not, hey, man, we got to go with a different rotation. And, you know, there are going to be some hurt feelings. But in order to be rare, that's a necessity. In order to be rare, that is a necessity. Talk to me about, uh, Dr. Carr, um, what you're working on, your projects. What's what's coming up? What's going on with you? Um, right now, you know, there's there are no books on team chemistry. So um, right now I'm working with the – uh, co-author, his name is um, Jerry Bacher, and he, um, he did some work uh, with Convicts with His Catholics uh, documentary, and he and I are uh, putting together a kind of an ultimate guide to team chemistry. It's teaching the underdogs how to become top dogs, and uh, we think that this will be a very interesting tool for that kid who's sitting at home who can't jump and touch the rim or who who can't run, you know, as fast as everybody else, but maybe he can contribute in other ways. Maybe while he's on the bench, he can be a good coach on the bench. He can be vocal. Maybe, you know, he in the locker room at halftime, he can maybe help his teammates to, to, to do things that they're un, unwilling to do. Uh, but basically this book I'm working on will give the average guy who, quote-unquote, is not the superstar an opportunity to be a piece of a team, a winning team. Um, and there's no reason why that the average person these days can't have what I call teammate skills. Uh, you know, bitch energy is a great thing, but you know what? When fans 
turn on the TV. They don't always look at the bench. What's happening with the bench? When I first walk into a place, I can tell a dysfunctional team from a non-dysfunctional team. How? Just looking at the bench. How? By just looking at the bench. What does that mean? People are pouting. Their heads are down. They're not cheering. They're not talking to each other. They're not collaborating with each other. They're not standing up and, and exchanging conversation during the course of the game. You can see that. The bench is a cemetery. So that negative energy that you see on the bench is going to be transferred onto the floor. And that's very powerful. It's a, that's a fingerprint. And every team has their fingerprints in terms of what kind of juice they generate on the bench. That, for me, that's a tail, uh, a tail sign that I can look at to find out you know, who's bringing in and who's not. Now, of course, the bench doesn't win your game, but it does. Because if I'm a player on the bench and I'm not getting a lot of playing time, and Tristan Thompson is an example. If you look at him, his juice on the bench has always been at a high level. And all of a sudden he gets in the Indiana game, and boom, he's ready to go because he was always gassed up. He was already dial- always dialed in, even though he didn't get a minute of time. But when his number was called on because he was already engaged and connected and with his teammates, huh, he just really brought it. And people say, why, God, where did that come from? He was already there. And he was sweating, you know, when games he wasn't playing because he was uh, cheering for his teammates so much. So, anyway, my book will cover the how to, you know, be rare and how to be, be a championship teammate and how to connect. A lot of guys these days, they come up in families. I'm not putting any families down, but some families, you know, they're, they're not connectors. They're not kissy. They're not huggy. They're not feely. You know, and when you're playing on a championship level, guys have to connect. They have to have that what I call proximity. They have to be close to each other. You know, they, they have to have those tough conversations. They got to touch each other. They got to adapt. And dysfunctional teams, they don't talk. They don't adapt. They don't have these tough conversations. So you can see that. And what I want my book to do is to depict those little nuances so that when you're, it's your turn to trial for a team or your turn to go into somebody's camp, you'll separate yourself from everyone else because you're bringing the juice. So I, I want to know if you think – tell me the name of this book. Be Rare. Be <laughs> Rare. I love it. You, you know what? This book is not just for athletes, though, right? Because the, when you – yeah. It's for, it's for everybody. Yes. Yes. Anybody who wants to have chemistry – Marriages, coworkers, leaders, clergy, anybody who wants to have a relationship with someone, this book would be for you. How to connect at a, at a championship level, level five. <laughs> level five. I like what you're saying. So, uh, so when, I, when I'm at work and I, and I want to have you say you come on our show and I want you to tell me what you see and help us analyze the game. So you can tell me, you can tell me Uh-oh. right now, <laughs> you can tell me right now who's going to win the finals based on chemistry. Do you think, seriously, how important is chemistry to winning it all, to winning the chip? 100%. I mean, if I had to say right now, you know, the, the, the two teams that fit all the rare factors would be uh, the Golden State Warriors. I mean, they've had a lot of challenges throughout the season. Their relationship seems to be unbreakable. Uh, they bounce back from mistakes. They lose big games. They come back. And they really run their stuff. They execute coaches' stuff. And then on the other side, I got to go with LeBron's team. I mean, those guys are servants. I mean, they don't, they're not necessarily big-time superstars, but they have sacrificed to the highest level. They're all givers. Every day is Christmas for them as they, as they p- portray themselves on the floor. And I think those are the two teams that seem to fit the profile of being rare. 
Okay, so chemistry is key, and that's the same thing. We say that in TV. Any successful show has to have chemistry, something where you're, it's just intangible, some things that you see. But you're talking about stuff that's that's that you can write down that's that's applicable uh, applicable to everyday life. So here are the things that you need to do to have chemistry, or this is how you can tell. How can you tell if um, a working relationship isn't great if you walked into a room? You said you look at a bench, you can write, tell right away if the bench players are pouting and looking crazy. How could you tell if a working relationship isn't good well yeah i mean i've I've gone into many work environments uh in warehouses where people they don't talk to each other and they you know they don't have even make-believe conversations with each other and if they are supervisor versus employee having a conversation He's given directions, and the supervisee is looking the other direction, or the super, supervisor is is not looking at the employee, they're not making any eye contact. So it's it's almost like the employee is working with the supervisor, but not for the supervisor. And so you can tell that little nuance, and that affects the bottom line, how productive you are. And that's the same thing that happens on the court. If I'm not talking to you, and I'm talking at you. I'm not going to have that special magnet magnetism. I'm not going to have that special connectivity that's going to get you, you know, to to work above and beyond or do that overtime shift that maybe you don't want to do because you want to go home. But if I if I treat you nicely as a as a supervisor and I and I give you time and I give you the support, you know what? If I ask you to do the overtime, sure, Doc. I'll, 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 no question. What do you need me for? And I mean, those are what I call transferable skills from from the court onto the work environment, just being rare and having those relationships and being able to say, you know what, I really like working here. This really makes me feel good to come in. Now, that's not going to happen all the time because, mm-hmm. you know, there are days when you want to stay in bed. <laughs> of course. But, you don't want to get up. Yeah. But when, you're working in a, but when you're working in a championship work culture, you know what you say, what my, 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 my people need me. I just want to say I am so glad that you've decided to unleash this secret weapon because I think you're going to change lives on a a massive scale as opposed to being a secret because that's what this gift is to share it with the world. And I appreciate you coming on the podcast to tell us about it. Well, thank you for having me. This has truly been a champion experience for me. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I'm taking my I'm getting rare. I need rare. Hey, Jessica, you, you like working with me? I'm going to I'm gonna take her out, see if she likes that. Because you said, you know, you want these people to come to work and like people and stuff. Uh, Dr. Carr, thank you so much for being on Be Honest. Appreciate you. Thank Appreciate you. you. Bye-bye. Chemistry, folks. So that was Jamel Hill and Dr. Carr, Dr. Joe Carr. Um... He gave you the sports. Jamel gave you the tea. I will say this uh, in reference to Jamel's conversation. I do miss seeing her and Michael on television every single day. She may not miss being on TV, but I do miss them. That was a constant. It's almost like a television show you grew up with when you were a kid. Uh, I don't want to age myself, but, you know, we remember TGI Fridays. You know, those were great shows to watch, you know, or even Sex in the City. I miss that coming on television. It was a constant. It, it gave you comfort. It reminded you that everything was all right. Or just for 30 minutes to an hour, you could just take a moment. And relax. There were always good moments from that. But she is correct. Um, great things have come from this, and there is more to come. We'll see more of her and Michael in other ways. So I'm so happy for them. That was a chemistry that is invaluable and definitely undeniable and hard to replace. So I wish them nothing but the best. 
As far as LeBron and his teammates, we heard Dr. Carr speak very eloquently about what it takes to be somebody like LeBron and what it takes to be a successful team and play with someone like LeBron. To the that, that end, I'm going to go ahead and make an early prediction. He uh, He's coming out of the East. I didn't think so. I got to admit it. I thought the Pacers were going to take him out. But he's coming out of the East. Only to get his butt spanked by the Warriors, but we'll see what we'll see what happens. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Uh, if you want to uh, get in touch with Doctor Carr, you can do so by going to Joe Carr ninety nine at hotmail dot com. Joe Carr ninety nine at hotmail dot com, and uh, maybe he can help you out with some chemistry. Thanks for listening. To be honest, see y'all soon. Thanks for listening to Be Honest with Carrie Champion. For more great podcasts, check out ESPN.com slash podcenter. Hey,